So like I said, today we're going to try to do something a little bit different from what we usually do. Uh, somebody once uh, recently, somebody once recently, not too long ago, asked me, uh, Father John, why do you always speak from slides? Why don't you just speak to us from your heart like you used to? So today I'm just going to speak to you from my heart. I'm just going to speak to you from what God has been sharing with me. Um, you all were very generous to allow me to be away for 10 days. Um, and being away for 10 days, I got, I got some really nice time with God. Uh, and He shared a lot of things with me. And I just want to share with you um, maybe just, maybe just uh, a, a few of the things that He shared with me. Um, I'm going to be speaking just from my, from, straight up from my Bible. Um, if you have a Bible in hand, you're welcome to, to follow along. Um, I'm, I'm in Mark 9. Uh, if you have a phone, you can just Google Mark 9 um, and, um, and uh, some version of the Bible will come up. Um, but it's, it'll all be pretty close. So at a certain point, Jesus decides to take three of his disciples up on a mountain. And he takes the three disciples up on the mountain and his appearance changes completely. And he becomes whiter than light. And his disciples are mesmerized. And this is a, it's a, it's a pretty major event um, in, the, in the life of Christ. And Elijah and Moses appear with him. And after Elijah and Moses appear next to him, St. Peter says some stuff and he just, he's kind of dumbfounded. He doesn't know what to say, so he just says kind of some stuff. And, um, and then as they're coming down the mountain, Jesus looks totally like he used to before, normal, but like, as he did before. And uh, he tells his disciples, don't say anything about this to anyone until after, um, this, after I die and um, come back from the dead three days later. It's an interesting event, and it's recorded in the first three Gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, I can't remember if it's recorded in John or not, but, but what I want to share with you is based on something which is only found in the, in the account in the Gospel of Mark. So in this story, it says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain, apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow such as no launderer on earth could whiten them. That comment that his clothes became shining exceedingly white is present in all three Gospels. But the following part, as snow, as such as no launderer on earth could, can whiten them, is only present in the Gospel of Mark. Now, each one of the Gospels was written to an audience. And I'm speaking to an audience right now, and I have an idea a little bit about a lot of you. Um, and so I try to tailor the way that I speak, the things that I say, the language that I use to, to the audience, right? And so did the gospel writers. So who was St. Mark, founder of the Coptic Orthodox Church, writing this gospel to? Well, he was writing it to the Romans. And that's why you'll find it's the shortest gospel. It's the ADHD gospel. 
okay? It's the, it's the action-packed gospel. It's the Jesus did this, then Jesus did that, then Jesus said this, that immediately after, then immediately, the word count of immediately's in Mark is higher than in any of the other gospels, despite the fact that it being the shortest gospel. You'll find that immediately Jesus went, and then he finished, and then immediately he went there, and he did this, and it's one thing after another. Now, he, he was writing to the superpower of the world, and he specifies to them that Jesus' clothes became shining white, brighter than any launderer on earth could launder. I didn't know that launder was a verb, you know? Like I thought of like money laundering, uh, you know, um, laundry, like one of my most detested chores. Laundry is fine, it's folding that I hate, right? You know, um, but I didn't really know it was a verb until until I read this in the Gospel of Mark. Now, you know, what's funny is I've had this bit underlined in my Bible for years and years and years. But it was only it was only this last week that as I kept reading, it's almost like the spirit brought me back to that verse. And and I kept going back to it and reading it over and over. And Lord, what do you want to tell me? What, what's, why are you so interested in laundry? You know, why do you care so much about laundry, Lord? Right? And if you read it again, it says his clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can launder. The message is bright, it's clear as day. The message is that the shining brightness that comes from heaven is brighter than anything that can be fabricated on earth. The plans that God has for you and for me are so much more glorious than the most glorious plan that you could possibly come up with. But that's not what laundry is about. Laundry is about taking something which is dirty and making it clean. Laundry is about taking something which is not as it ought to be and making it as it ought to be. And the message here is so clear that God can take something which is not as it ought to be and make it more like it ought to be than anyone else on earth can. God, what God does is beyond comparison with what we do as human beings on earth. In Isaiah 55, I believe, find some of my favorite verses, one of my favorite chapters in Isaiah. All of the Isaiah 50 chapters are really beautiful, but the Isaiah 55, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, verse 8. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. What's the comparison? You'll find oftentimes in Scripture it will say things like, for as da-da-da-da-da is da-da-da-da-da is. You know? And that's a comparison. You know? Or if you ever see the word van, T-H-A-N, not T-H-E-N, T-H-A-N, van, you know, then that's always a comparison. You're always going to find a comparison there. 
Why a comparison? Because God knows that we're dualistic creatures. We understand things for what they are not. I know that black is black because it's not white, you know? And dualism makes it very easy for us to understand things. That may not be the most accurate way of understanding things, but it certainly makes it a lot easier for us to understand things, right? So he says that his clothes, the clothes of Christ became shining whiter than any launderer on earth can launder. There's a comparison. And the question that is posed to me and is being posed to you as well right now is what is the comparison for you? What is it that God wants to take in your life and make it more glorious than you could ever possibly imagine? But you've set the bar this high. I've told a story a long time ago in a series we did about anxiety, about how I wanted to go into plastic surgery, but I never thought I'd get in. So I, so I, so I um, uh, applied for general surgery and I got in. And later on, when they were begging me to, to, to go into plastic surgery, I, my, you know, I, was, I had already set that limit for myself. I could never go beyond this. And we all do that. They're called limiting beliefs. Where, where is the glass ceiling you and I have placed for ourselves? Because we know that the most that I can do is this. That's not bad. It's not a wrong thing to do. It's called being realistic. You know, like I shouldn't walk into a luxury car dealership thinking I can buy a $200,000 car because I can't. So I should know what my budget is and I should live within it. That's a good thing to do. That's a healthy thing to do. Yes, but when it comes to God, I should allow for the God factor. I should allow for the God factor that says that my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. And as high as the heavens are from the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Another comparison. You can expect God's ideas and thoughts and plans for you to be as high as heaven is from earth. When he wants to explain to us how far removed our sins are from us. In the Psalms, he says to us, for as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. Another comparison. God is asking you and he's asking me, where have you put the glass ceiling? Where have you put the limiting belief? I can launder clothes and get them this white. Yeah, and no launderer on earth could probably get them whiter. But what about the king of laundry in heaven? What about the king of white in heaven? Now, I want to keep going with you a little deeper into the passage, but this is all just the introduction, okay? This is the introduction and this is, this is you setting the tone, you setting the beat, you setting the metronome for the rest of this talk in your life. Pick a limiting belief right now, a glass ceiling you have put, which would be really reasonable to put if God wasn't there and say, this is how much I can afford. This is how much I can do. This is how much I can produce. This is how much I can love. This is how much I can forgive. This is how much, this is how much. This is how bright I can launder. 
And now let's see how glorious, how glorious God is and what in what he has to say to us as we go. So Elijah and Moses appear with him. That's what the next verse says. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. So you have to understand something. You have to put, you know, I have to bring you back to the context here. Moses is the founder of Judaism. I mean, Abraham is the patriarch, but Moses is the founder of the rules and laws of Moses is the one. He's the deliverer. He's the redeemer. He's the one who brought them out of Egypt. When they went down to Egypt, they were a family. When they left Egypt, they were a nation. Moses is the one who led them conquering through nation, nation by nation, nation by nation. Moses is the one who brought them to the gates of the promised land. Moses is the one who was the connection between them and God. Moses is the one who gave them the law, which dictated everything they did in their life. M Moses, Moses was, was an unbelievably immortalized character in the mind of these Jewish men. Elijah was the prime prophet. Like when you say prophet, people think Elijah. Moses was a prophet as well, but Moses is associated with the law. The era of, because Moses was a prophet, yes, but he was in the era of the law. The next era is the kings, and after that is the era of the prophets. And in the era of the prophets, Elijah was, there was nobody like Elijah. Elisha surpassed his master Elijah in the number of miracles and in the, in the number of teachings and the number of his disciples. But Elijah was still the source. He was still the master. He was still. So here you have Jesus and, you know, homeless rabbi speaking with Moses and Elijah. And the disciples are spellbound, you know? The disciples are like, you know, they just don't know what to say. So much so that St. Peter doesn't know what to say. So he says, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, there's other, other interpretations of why he said that. But most people agree that he really just didn't know what to say. But the, the one thing is for sure is that St. Peter did something unthinkable in his time. He took Jesus and he put Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah. Now, you and I know that Moses, that, that Jesus is far greater than Moses than, and Elijah. But for the disciples... For the disciples, for somebody to say that they were greater than Moses or greater than Abraham would be the equivalent for somebody to walk into our church and say that, 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 that they are greater than Jesus. Like if somebody walked in to our church and said they were greater than Jesus, most of you would laugh. Most of you wouldn't take it seriously. It's, it's completely outside of your, your frame of reality. It's, it's, it's not within... The, the boundaries of what you believe is real. Moses was it for Judaism. When Jesus institutes the, the, past, the Last Supper and says this is instead of the Passover, 
It's, it would be exactly like when Jesus does that, it would be exactly like me saying, you know what, instead of us celebrating Easter, we should just celebrate my birthday. What do you all think? Right? It would be, it, it, was, it was, Passover was the, was the highest celebration, the, the highest celebration in Judaism. And it was, and it is until now, right? It was the, the commemoration of their redemption, of their freedom, of their salvation from Egypt. And Jesus says, no more Passover. You'll celebrate me instead. What? What? Right? So the fact that St. Peter puts Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah is already like something unthinkable. But here's the kicker, okay? Here's the punchline that you and I know is that Jesus is even greater than Moses and then Elijah. In what way? If you still have a Bible with you, flip to, Rome, flip to Hebrews 9. In Hebrews 9, St. Paul is talking about a new priestly service and a new covenant. And he speaks a fair bit about this new covenant. And he says about this new covenant, I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8 and 9. He says, because finding fault with them, that is the covenant, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I had made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. What's he saying here? He's saying, I made a covenant with these people when I brought them by the hand. He says, I led them by the hand out of the land of Egypt. When I led them by the hand out of the land of Egypt, I made a covenant with them that if they don't worship any other gods and if they obey all of my commandments, I will bless them exceedingly. And every place where their foot falls on the ground, I will give to them. And a multitude of other promises that you will find all through the, the, the second to fifth books of the Bible, but specifically in Deuteronomy, you'll find this dichotomy very clear that God puts before the people. If you follow me, if you obey me, if you don't worship idols, I will. If you don't, I will. Right? And the covenant is very clear. And that's the covenant he makes with them when he led them, what, it said, what does it say? By the hand out of the land of Egypt. So what's this new covenant then? If we read on, he says, For this, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more old covenant, I will lead them by the hand out of the land of Egypt. New covenant, I will lead them by their hearts into a new covenant with me. 
Old covenant, if you, I will. New covenant, grace. New covenant, I invite you, do what you can, I will talk about and make you perfect. Old covenant, if you, I will, conditional. New covenant, I will just respond and I will continue to give to you. Now here is, here is the kicker. Here's the kicker. Go to Hebrews. I'm still in Hebrews 8. Go to the last verse in the chapter, verse 13. It says, and in that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The word obsolete there, I went to go look it up to see like, what does that really mean? He says the word obsolete twice. Are you saying, St. Paul, that what God said in the past is now obsolete? St. Paul is saying, yes. It has historical value, yes. But it is no longer current. When I went to go look up what this word obsolete means, it's, it's a word which has, uh, gives the connotation of something which has been used so much that it's, it's faded, it's, it's gone pale, it's lost its color. In a legal, it's a legal word also used in the, in, in the law and so on. The same, the same word obsolete. And it, it means ready to be abrogated. I'm not a lawyer, so I have to go look up what the word abrogate means. It means that you, and the lawyers in the audience can correct me, right? But it means something which is no longer current. If you have a contract with somebody and then you make a new contract with them, the first one gets abrogated. It means it's, it's no longer current. There's something, there's something more current, which has been agreed on by both parties, which is now the one in use. The old one can be kept on file to know why they did what they used to do when they used to do it. But it is no longer descriptive of what is going to happen now. The champion of the old covenant is Moses. The champion of the new covenant is Jesus. No one, and this was referred to in the reading, uh, the, the readings from St. Paul's epistles during the liturgy this morning in Ephesians 2, 1, 2, and 3, but mostly 2 and 3, he speaks about the mystery. No one could have ever possibly ever imagined that God Almighty, creator of heaven on earth, would become human, would take flesh in the womb of an orphan girl called Mary, be born in the humblest place on the face of the earth, a stinky, stanky, manure-smelling manger, be the, the son and stepson of, of poor countryside peasants. God Almighty, creator of the universe, would humble himself to such degree, only to be further humbled, stripped naked, beaten, wounded,
crucified, killed, and then to rise again. All of this, all of this, for people who owed him, who he owed nothing. And that's what St. Paul says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's part of the magic. That's part of the magic in this transfiguration passage. St. Peter couldn't possibly imagine. He had elevated Christ, he had elevated Jesus to the highest religious figure he could possibly imagine, Moses. There isn't anything higher than that. I mean, higher than that, higher than that, you would be God. Only God has the capacity to love as Jesus showed. Only God has the capacity to be generous and gracious as he actually is. And that's why, that's why it's brighter than any launderer on earth can launder. So the story carries on. He says this stuff, St. Peter says this stuff because he just doesn't know what to say and then a cloud overshadows them. And the cloud overshadows them and a voice comes out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him, hear him, be obedient to him. And to finish with a little bit of context, where and when does this story of, this, of the transfiguration happen? What, what was the context? Right before that, Right before that, Jesus had been preaching and all kinds of people were around him. And he calls his disciples around him in the presence of the multitudes. And he says to his disciples and to the multitudes, he says to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and his, with his, all his holy angels. So Jesus, this is called, this passage is oftentimes called the call to discipleship. That's the end of Mark 8. Immediately after that, and he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. And six days later, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain and the, the transfiguration. Now, these chapters and verses are things that we've put here for, for scholarship purposes, for the ability to quote, right? But you can see just by the fact that 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 the transfiguration passage starts with and after six days that means that the transfiguration transfiguration happened after something else happened all these things happened in sequence the, these divisions of chapters and verses are somewhat artificial jesus is telling us he's telling us if you follow me if you want to follow me deny yourself Take up your cross and follow me. Jeez, Jesus, that sounds like pretty difficult. Or, I mean, maybe I can do it sometimes, but all the time. And, you know, I don't know. It sounds like a bit of a tall order. I mean, you know, the, it sounds pretty like a, like a high cost kind of commitment. 
but it's always a question of cost and benefit. It's always a question of what are you paying and what are you getting in return, right? An example, you know, that someone shared with me that I thought was really useful, you know, if I tell you, hey folks, you know, there's an ice cream truck outside, they're like the best ice cream in the city, it's $100 for a scoop. Everybody will be like, best ice cream, best whatever, you know, $100 for a scoop, he can keep driving, right? Now, if I told you, oh, by the way, you know, the, the a Maserati dealership opened up on, on the corner of College and Bathurst and the first five people to walk in get a Maserati for $100, all of a sudden, everybody's going to go running out the door, right? Why? Well, something is worth a lot more and something is worth a lot less, at least to you. So you very quickly do the math and the cost benefit ratio in your mind and you say, this is worth it or this is not. The transfiguration is there to reveal to you and to reveal to me, to open my eyes and to open your eyes to the glory that God wishes to share with you. If you and I will just stick it out with him. If you and I will accept this new covenant of grace. If you and I will accept, if you and I will accept to follow him wherever he leads, knowing that no one in the universe has ever been more gracious than him, knowing that his thoughts are much higher than my thoughts, his ways are much higher than my ways, knowing that his love is everlasting, like it says in Jeremiah, knowing that his thoughts are of peace and not of war, but to give you a future and a hope, knowing all of these promises and the glory which is revealed. Notice something we've shared before, but I share it again, that the church teaches us that Jesus' appearance had not changed. Jesus Christ is the same today and yesterday, today and forever. It's the eyes of his disciples which were opened to see his glory. May your eyes, my eyes, be open to see the glory of Christ and to see the glory that awaits you and awaits me and to be convinced that there's no effort of mine that could ever fabricate anything nearly as bright, nearly as beautiful, nearly as wonderful as what he has prepared for you and for me. And to live in the hope and the joy and the peace of that glory. Glory be to God forever and ever, amen. Let's stand and pray.